Welcome to Saving Tomorrow's Planet, the podcast tracking down and talking to pioneering people taking real action to save the planet. Today I'm talking to Alex Ely, founder-owner of May Architects. I met Alex last year for the first time and was really engaged by his personal mission to work on public contracts to build affordable housing estates with an absolute focus on bringing sustainability to life in all its forms. Alex is at the forefront of innovating building techniques that minimise or even contribute to saving the planet. But more than that, Alex's definition of sustainability is also to create environments that actually uplift the spirits of the inhabitants of his buildings, people who are often at the bottom of the economic ladder and are not always considered and invested in in this way. As always, we discover in the conversation that tax, regulation and cost influences how or if developers and architects are motivated to build in the most sustainable way. Hello, Alex. Where are you today? Jeremy, thanks for the invitation. Well, being in lockdown, I'm working from home at the moment and we're actually uh, without an office because we're in the process of moving. Could you tell us what does your company actually do? So I'm an architect and urban designer and May um, was set up 20 years ago, uh, specifically with a focus on delivering sustainable architecture and places. So we work at the scale of a city through to the building. And really our goal in designing buildings and places is really to try and uplift the human spirit. We're specifically focused on designing housing, social infrastructure, really that in a way that positively contributes to the planet uh, whilst also being socially responsible. So are these single houses or multiple houses or flats? We tend to do large scale developments. So we're working a lot with local authorities and private developers. So it's mostly apartments, although we're doing some developments across the regions, which tend to be houses. And we're also innovating in custom build housing. So we we have our own development arm that we're progressing. That's interesting. So what started your interest in environmental sustainable building? I was taught by a very inspirational couple, Brenda and Robert Vale, and they were environmental activists, but also pioneers in environmentally friendly buildings. And they published a book called The Autonomous House back in 1975, I should say before I I was studying. Um, I was just a toddler then, but it goes to show how forward thinking they were. And they developed this technical guide for housing that could be energy self-sufficient, environmentally friendly, and they built their own autonomous off-grid house. And when they taught me, they were very influential, but I'm not sure that it entirely sunk in, in terms of the importance and the imperative to design environmentally. And it's really only the last few years, I'd say, that I've come to appreciate the impact that construction is having on the climate. In the UK, 49% of annual carbon emissions are attributable to buildings. So it's a massive challenge that we face in the construction industry. And we all need to play our part in trying to reduce the impact of climate change. So could you just help me understand which components of the building 
life cycle, I guess, are emitting different levels of impact to the planet. Certainly. So we need to look at it from two perspectives. One is the what buildings are made of. So the energy and carbon emissions that go into the making of a building. And that down, that's down to the materials we use. It's down to the waste that's often produced in construction. And then the other side of it is that we need to reduce the carbon emissions that are generated from the heating and powering of our buildings. So just by way of comparison, when a newly built home is finished, 50% of the whole life carbon of that building will already have been emitted. And then the remainder is emitted through the life of the building, through heating, through energy use, and the power that uh, we need to uh, keep our homes warm and dry. So I think for most of us, including me, that would be quite a surprise. I think most of us can imagine that the life cycle of heating year after year would be enormous. And I guess the loss of energy, which you can talk about. But to say that half of it comes in actually the building component. Could you explain how that could be? So it comes through the energy used in part to make and manufacture the materials that we build from. So for example, concrete and steel are some of the biggest energy consumers in our industry to actually process and manufacture steel and concrete, or, or more specifically, the cement in concrete. However, there are, and we're now as an industry starting to, or moving much towards using low carbon materials. So for example, we're building more in timber, now, okay, timber is an age-old material for construction, but given that we're now building much bigger and higher, it's tended to be overtaken by steel and concrete as a form of construction. So timber, of, of course, is not just low carbon, but it is sequestered carbon. And if it can come from sustainable sources, then it's much more attractive environmentally as a building material. But there are other things that we need to look at. And one of the biggest polluters in construction is the waste. So if we can start adopting principles of circular economy and using materials made from waste, we can go a long way to reducing the carbon, the embodied carbon in a building. So for example, we've just designed a small community centre which uses bricks that are 60% of their content is waste from ceramics. So discarded bathroom fittings, uh, sanitary wear and the like. And they've crushed those up and made the, the basic raw materials that have made new bricks for that building. And that in turn has saved, I believe, 28 tonnes of material that would have otherwise gone to landfill. So we need to look more holistically at how we design buildings. We need to think about using low, carb low embodied carbon materials in the first instance. We need to look at uh, materials that are recycled or upcycled. And we then also need to think about the end of life of a building. So thinking about how a building can be dismantled and its components reused at the end of a life. Um, because one thing that's massively changed i believe in construction is that we've been building to shorter and so shorter lifespans so new buildings today might only be built for a sort of 40 to 60 year period and some are pulled down even earlier and that really isn't sustainable so i think we need to think not just about the energy of the materials we use but we need to start reducing the waste 
One of the things that's become clear in all the conversations on this podcast is the relationship between the cost of the item and its sustainable or its sustainability. And what we keep on finding is that the reason that materials are being used in fashion and elsewhere is because they are the lowest cost. How can you just shine a light on that relationship of cost and the material being used to see if there's perhaps something slightly different in the building industry than elsewhere? Yeah, well, one of the, well, a couple of things here. One is that buildings have become massively complex in the way we build them. So there is certainly a need to simplify the way we build. So if you think of an office building with its concrete slab uh, floors, it then has suspended ceilings and load of additional fittings, which arguably, if we can simplify buildings and have much more exposed finishes and simpler construction, we reduce the waste, uh, reduce the amount of material uh, within a building and therefore make it cheaper. But the other thing that really needs to play into construction is the cost of taxation. So in the UK, refurbishment or any works to an existing building are taxed at 20%, whereas a new build is somewhere between 0 and 5%. So the cost of refurbishing, upgrading your house, adding insulation, changing the windows to double glazing, or you know, refurbishing an office building is automatically costing 20% more than a new build which incentivizes the industry to demolish and replace, which is utterly wasteful and utterly absurd. So one of the cost factors that we need to address immediately is to try and at least equalize the tax on uh, renovation and refurbishment. So um, if just in the news today, actually, uh, there was a discussion about the accelerated turnaround of office buildings into homes, Could you imagine that actually it could be more financially beneficial simply to pull down the office and turn it into properly designed homes from the outset rather than trying to retrofit homes into an office? No, actually, I I think retrofit is worth looking at. Now, it might change its appearance massively, but the... 50% of the embodied carbon in the building is from its superstructure and its foundations. So the frame and the foundations. So even if you were to take off all the glass cladding, let's say it's a glass clad office block, take all its cladding off and then put a a wall, walls up with windows in and something more suitable for housing, you've still saved 50% of its embodied carbon. And if you only think back to the way we embrace and enjoy converting, you know, industrial revolution warehouses, you know, the great, uh, it drove the whole kind of loft living culture. Converting warehouses has become very desirable in housing. And I, I think you could readily create a very interesting form of architecture and form of housing in converted offices but they would need changing but at least you're not wasting the whole building you could make substantial changes and still reduce the energy and from a tax point of view just to come back to that would it be therefore taxed at the 20 percent because that's a renovation sadly yes right yeah i mean we did a project that was refurbishing a 19 
60s estate and upgrading it. And if you think of a lot of that housing of that period, it's fallen out of popularity. It's often expensive to maintain or it's been poorly maintained. And so often the presumption is in favour of demolition. But actually, if you can give those buildings a second life, it's got to be worth considering. So in that case, we did, with our client, refurbish it, but um, they had a huge battle to try and negotiate the VAT down on that uh, refurbishment. You were doing research yourself into new techniques, etc. Could you tell us some of the exciting projects you're working on in that research area? Sure. Well, one of the large housing schemes we're doing is being designed, we've designed it to passive house standard. So passive house requires very little energy or even no energy to heat and cool it. And it's a relatively simple idea, but it's often quite hard to achieve. So in order to achieve passive house, you need airtight construction. So buildings don't waste energy and leak energy through drafts. You can still manage the ventilation for fresh air but it's not wasteful. And then you need super insulation. So very little heating is actually needed. In fact, the first phase of this scheme that is now built, residents reported that in the first winter that they occupied it, they virtually didn't have the heating on at all. And I think that comes as a surprise to many. You know, we're so used to kind of paying our energy bills and heating our homes. To imagine that we can actually have a home that doesn't even need radiators is often seen as a surprise. But if we build well we don't so there's the airtight construction there's the super insulation but then there are other simple means like orientating the building to the sun so that you use the energy of the sun to naturally heat the building and and then also that in turn means that you're not using artificial lighting during the day uh, and then the the other factor in passive house is ensuring that what energy you do use comes from renewable energy sources if you have got a vision yourself for being a real leader in environmental and sustainable housing or, or architecture, what would you really like to do next as a real innovation? For me, it would be about driving a culture of re regeneration. So I think architecture has to become carbon positive. It has to generate more energy than it consumes through good uh, renewable sources. But also, I'm really intrigued by how we can create buildings that fully adopt the circular economy. So at the moment, we have this linear economic model where the resources used in construction are dug up from the ground. They make products that make up buildings. We consume them in the form of making a building. And then they're demolished and sent to landfill and wasted. And it's a linear process. And I think what's much more interesting, more challenging, is where we move to a construction that adopts circular economy principles. So that's using products from previous construction or waste to create new products, or even, as I was suggesting earlier, using elements of buildings such as a frame and reimagining existing buildings with this plastic that we have that is has a limit to its ability to be recycled is there enough plastic that could actually be used to turn into bricks in a mass scale or would that be just too niche in terms of the volume of plastic available 
I believe there are some products being developed. I've not heard it being used for bricks, but I do know that plastic is being granulated and made into material for road finishes. So it's actually combined with graphene, which is sort of a Wanda, new Wanda product, but it uses waste plastic to create plastic paving, which can then be laid on roads. So there, there are quite a few interesting new products being developed by the industry using things like plastic. You can already get building boards that you might use for your kitchen cabinets that are made for, from plastic. I've also come across one product that uses fabric, so wasted materials from the textile industry and binds them and compresses them into building boards. So... Uh, there's a lot of innovation happening, possibly not fast enough, but we're always on the hunt for uh, interesting new products that try and capture and reuse waste. If we separate out tall buildings, office buildings, or anything that is multi-floored versus housing, what is the comparison either in terms of energy used to construct or energy wastage in running them? And therefore, where are we most likely to make the biggest impact if we have to focus on one more than the other, possibly? Well, that's a, a, a tricky one to answer because, well, in the sense that you could immediately say, well, low-rise houses use less embodied or have less embodied carbon because they've got smaller foundations, there's less structure to build them, whereas a high-rise has enormous kind of pile foundations you know, a third of the structure is in the ground. and but, but then you need to look at it from another perspective because something that we're interested in the practice as much as sustainable buildings is sustainable places and state, sustainable cities. So you then need to start looking at the side of the equation that thinks about land take and how we re use our land resource wisely. If you use less land, then it means you can rewild and increase by diversity of you know, the countryside. So there are trade-offs, I guess, is where, where I'm coming from, that you might embody more or use more carbon in the construction of a tall building, but you're using less land. And, uh, you know, it might be efficient in other ways. It's got a simpler form factor. So form factor is the complexity of a building. And the more complex a building, the more energy it uses in its operation. So calculating the carbon in impact of a building isn't easy. You have to look at its materials, you have to look at its form, you have to look at how much energy it can absorb from the sun and what impact it has on the urban heat island effect, for example, and the impact on the wider environment. So it's, a, it's a, an interesting conundrum, but it does challenge us to think as much about the places we create as the buildings uh, we build. Very interesting. So looking at us who are living in an existing flat or house, and we want to make our contribution to reducing greenhouse gases, etc. What may be two or three things that we could do, some of them will be obvious, some of them I'm interested that may less be less obvious to reduce our impact. So going back to that, difference between the operational carbon and the embodied carbon of a building, uh, the first thing we can all tackle is trying to reduce the operational carbon. You would buy into a green energy system or supplier, could then go further and introduce photovoltaic panels, which generate electri electricity from the sun, or air source heat pumps, which uh, generate heat from the ambient temperature outside. So the first thing is to try and reduce the 
or, or make sure that we use renewable sources for our energy. And then there are simple upgrades that we can help reduce the amount of energy that we need in any case. So adding insulation, double glazing, or even our passive house schemes are using triple glazing. So think about, if you think about buildings being like clothes, add extra layers in winter to keep you warm. When you insulate a building, what's quite important is that you think about it as an entire envelope. You have to wrap the whole building. The difficulty with existing buildings is if you just put a very high level of insulation in the attic, for example, all it does is then potentially concentrate heat losses through the walls, which might then lead to damp or uh, condensation. You do need to look at the whole picture and look at upgrading, not just the, the insulation in the roof, but then also see what you can do to add insulation uh, to the walls, which could be through the cavity, if they have a cavity. You can now use what's called blown insulation. So you drill small holes around the building and you blow in uh, insulation, which fills a cavity. Or you can go to further levels and reclad your whole building in an additional layer of insulated fabric, which might be something like render. So it would change the look of the building, certainly, but it's like putting on an extra thick coat. That's fascinating, actually. That's going back to the old days to do something very modern. Actually, just on that point, and perhaps to finish, what can you see maybe the most exciting thing that could appear in the next five years that could revolutionise, let's say, that operational side of just keeping the heat in and reducing the amount of heat we all use? Well, certainly new products are developing that are more efficient, that insulate better, and we'll keep an eye on those. But also things like air source heat pumps are really quite new to the field, but are very effective. So they use a low energy source to actually generate a lot of benefit in terms of that. So they're like a refrigerator. They, so they draw out what warmth there is in the air outside and concentrate it and then emit it into the house. So that sort of technology is moving on quickly and really worth exploring. Well, I think that's everything for the moment. Thank you very much, Alex. Really interesting and got us looking again at both the tax implication, which so often rears its head around the environmental issue and, and probably is one of the most important things perhaps to tackle down in this whole project. Yeah, it, it needs to be addressed from all angles. And I think that that's where sort of governmental leadership is needed. But at the same time, we shouldn't sit back and wait for them to deal with that side of things. We can all take action now. So I'm really pleased to have this conversation and uh, share what we're doing on the subject and sort of challenges that we faced as an industry. Thank you.